All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn uh, with me to Luke chapter 6. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to begin by saying flags are an important part of any military warship, right? A flag shows your allegiance. It shows you or shows others what side you're on. Yet in generations past, sometimes those flags on military warships would be used to trick or to deceive. So it's been said that ships frequently carried flags from many nations on board in order to elude or deceive the enemy. However, the, the civil thing to do was to raise your true flag before shots were fired. Now, this is where we get our common idiom that we use nowadays, showing our true colors. And so uh, I quote from the Naval History and Heritage Command, someone who finally shows his true colors is acting like a man of war which hailed another ship flying one flag, but then hoisted their own when they got in firing range. Now, we still use this idiom often, don't we? We talk about someone showing their true colors. Because sometimes we understand it can be hard to, to see, to have insight into, to figure out someone's heart. I mean, what, what do they really think? Who are they, really? In fact, one of the most important people we can ask this question is of is ourselves, right? So uh, legend has it, Socrates once said, know thyself. And at the beginning of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin wrote, nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So church, in our passage from Luke this morning, Jesus gives his followers, gives us instructions on how we are to examine our own hearts. How not to deceive ourselves, but to see our own true colors for what they are. So we come this morning to the end of Luke chapter 6, and the end of this sermon that we've seen Jesus preaching over the previous verses. And the heart of this sermon is Jesus teaching his followers how we ought to live. We are to live self-denying, God-dependent, loving lives. And now we see Jesus closing his sermon with a call, a call to follow after him, not in word only, not with lip service only, but in full heartfelt allegiance to him as king. So grab your Bibles if you haven't already. Turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 49 will be our text this morning. Luke 6, starting in verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? 
Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus here is, we're seeing Luke finishing up his sermon before we get to the narrative again in chapter 7. And so as we finish up with these few verses, let's, let's take two headings to kind of steer our study this morning. First, first thing Jesus shows his disciples and us, redeemed hearts produce good fruit. Redeemed hearts produce good fruit. And second, redeemed hearts obey Jesus. Redeemed hearts obey Jesus. And as we study this passage together, dear Christian, use Jesus' words here not primarily to evaluate your spouse or your child or your co-worker or your brother or sister or parent or fellow church member. Take this time to evaluate your own heart and see your true colors. So first, redeemed hearts produce good fruit. Look with me again at verse 43. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. So Jesus is saying something fairly basic and intuitive, something we all understand, and that is that the fruit of a tree will always match the nature. Of that, of that tree. Uh, Jesus continues and says in verse 44, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So in, in verse 43, we see a healthy tree bears healthy fruit. For example, a diseased tree will not bear good fruit. And then in verse 44, we see that a certain type of tree will bear a certain type of fruit. So an apple tree will not all of a sudden produce a grapefruit. So, when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, uh, our neighbor had a, a crabapple tree that sort of hung over the fence into our backyard. And, and so whenever I mowed the lawn during the summer, uh, one of the first things that I needed to do before I, I cranked up the mower uh, was to pick up all the rotting uh, apples that had fallen from the tree and, and provided this sort of scrumptious feast for approximately a gazillion bees. But what if one day, as I was growing up, I had gotten my lawnmower, rolled it out to the back lawn, only to see the honeybees incredibly frustrated because that day, instead of decaying crab apples, the tree had instead dropped dozens of coconuts all over the grass, and they couldn't use their tiny little eater things, whatever they use, to get into the coconuts. I mean, that, that would be ridiculous, right? That simply wouldn't happen because it's impossible. It's unnatural. And that's precisely Jesus' point. The root of a tree, the nature of a tree, determines and always determines the fruit of that tree. You can't deny this. Even if you think you're an expert, a tree will always be able to be identified by its fruit. 
So I'm no arborist, and yes, I did Google that term and found out it's a person who cares for trees. Uh, but if I go up to a tree with you outside today, socially distanced, of course, and we see, we both see pears growing on that tree, we'll both be able to turn to each other and say, ah, oh, it's a pear tree, right? But what if I continued to kind of look carefully at the tree and I took the leaf and I looked at the leaf and, and I said, mm, no, these leaves actually are more like the leaves of an apple tree. I, I think this is an apple tree. Well, you'd call me delusional, right? There are pears right in front of my nose. What don't I understand? Well, what's Jesus getting at? Look at verse 45. He makes it clear for us. He says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Church, Jesus, the master teacher that he is, is drawing an illusion for us, an illustration uh, for us, not an illusion. And he's saying that just like a tree will always bear fruit in keeping with its kind, so every heart will bear actions and produce words in keeping with its kind. A good heart will be displayed in goodness and good words. And an evil heart will be displayed in evil and evil words. So as we examine our hearts, how can we tell if we are truly Christians? If we're walking in the light, if we're following after Jesus Christ? Well, church, we'll be able to see if our heart is changed by the fruits we show. Is the fruit of our life Christ-like? Are you growing in loving others like Christ, laying down your life for others like Jesus has done for you? Now, I want to be clear. So this sort of fruit examination of our own hearts is not a way to earn our salvation and our good favor from God. I mean, if, if you were to say the fruit of your, of your heart, of your faith, earned you salvation— that would be like saying the fruit produced the root. And that's simply nonsense. No, instead, we should understand that Jesus is teaching this sort of self-examination to those who already are his disciples, following after him, who have come to him. So we see this idea expounded more clearly as we continue on into the New Testament. So take, for example, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, there, Paul, the apostle, is, is showing how everyone is a sinner and, and dead in sin, unable to follow after God. But then Paul says that God, rich in his fabulous mercy, made us alive and saved us. He says famously, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's clear, this new life we have, this salvation, this, this new heart that's within us is thanks to no work in us. It's only due to the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. But that's not it. Paul continues in Ephesians 2, and he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
See, the salvation given to us in Christ has nothing to do with us and our deserving. But the saved life we've now been reborn into demands our lives, our devotion, our obedience. This is who we are now. We have been made new. Our lives have been changed. We now belong to Christ. And this new life will, indeed it must, manifest itself in how we act and speak, in the fruits of our hearts. Not only God can know the heart completely, but we will be able to inspect our hearts to see our true colors as we examine the fruit of our hearts. And this is really important because we are given to self-deception. Sin, by its very nature, lies to us. And so our sinful hearts can lie to us, convincing us that we're good to go when our hearts are actually far from God. So how can we examine our hearts? Well, Jesus gives us a great way to do that in verse 45. He asks, what does your mouth say? We're confronted with this question. What is the fruit of our lips? So, if we look at the, the words of our mouths, we will see the content of our hearts. So how do we speak? How do we speak to our families? What is the content of our text messages and social media posts? How do we seek to lead others with our words? Your words will show your heart language. Your words will show your heart language. So if your heart is arrogant, your words will tend towards self-promotion. If your heart is angry, your words will tend to be harsh. If your heart is controlling, your words will be manipulative. But on the other hand, if your heart is content, your words will be peaceful. If your heart is compassionate, your words will show mercy. If your heart is humble, your words will build others up. And so it's clear that if we are to experience real change in our speech, if we are to experience real change in the fruits that we produce, we need to address the root, not just the fruit. We need to not just clear up our language, but we need to get to our hearts. We need to not just say, stop saying four-letter words. We need to stop the anger and change the anger that is produced in those words. So a wonderful counselor and author, Paul Tripp, uh, has a wonderful way of applying this to our hearts as Christians. So in one of his books called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, uh, he writes this. He says, if a tree produces bad apples year after year, there is something drastically wrong with its system down to its very roots. He says, I won't solve that problem by stapling new apples onto the branches. They also will rot because they are not attached to a life-giving root system. And next spring, I will have that same problem again. I will not see a new crop of healthy apples because my solution has not gone to the heart of the problem. If the tree's roots remain unchanged, it will never produce good apples. 
And so he concludes and he says, the point is that, it, the point is that in personal ministry, much of what we do to produce growth and change in ourselves and others is little more than fruit stapling. It attempts to exchange apples for apples without examining the heart, the root behind the behavior. See, dear friend, each one of us has a deep-seated problem. A problem we can't ignore, just kind of shoo away. And it's a problem of the heart. See, every one of us, as Jeremiah the prophet put it in the Old Testament, has a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. No number of apples we staple to our heart tree can make us clean or alive or good. Only Jesus can do that. See, what Jesus came to do in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, was not just to make us a bunch of put-together, well-behaved, religious people. He came to remake our hearts. To pull up our root system and remake us with new hearts that are soft towards him, obedient towards him. See, what Jesus did on the cross was take our diseased, decaying, dead hearts and take all the judgment we deserved for our sin against God and give us his unstained, beautiful righteousness. That's how we're saved. Christians are not saved by stapling good fruit to dead trees. Using good works to try to earn God's favor is like putting makeup on a corpse. No, we're dead. We need to have new hearts. And when our hearts are changed, that's when we bear good fruit. That's the only way to bear good fruit. So how can we know we are in Christ? Well, are we bearing the true fruit of changed hearts? Or are we just putting forward well-put-together exteriors for others to applaud? See, friends, the, the world tells us we have an external problem, and we need to go internally to find salvation. We need to, to follow our own hearts to discover true happiness. But the Bible says the exact opposite. Now here's what the author and seminary president, Al Mohler, has written on this. He says, Most Americans believe that their major problem is something that has happened to them, and that their solution is to be found within. In other words, they believe that they have an alien problem that is to be resolved with an inner solution. What the gospel says, however, is that we have an inner problem that demands an alien solution, a righteousness that is not our own. Moeller is, is saying that the Bible says our problem is internal to us. Our problem is a heart filled with rebellion against God. We need something from outside of us to come and save us. And friends, that is the work of Christ on the cross for sinners like you and me. So dear friend, if you're tuning in this morning and you don't know Jesus, turn to him today to have new life, to have your sin washed away and receive a new heart. If you have questions about that, you can 
You can, uh, after this video is over, you can go message us on Facebook. You can send me an email directly, jacob at latinvalley.org. We would love to talk with you more about what it means to follow after Jesus and have our hearts changed. And Christian, this phrase is not original to me. I've heard another person use it, but I think this is really helpful. This verse is meant to both afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. It's meant to both afflict the comfortable in our church and comfort the afflicted in our church. What do I mean by that? Well, there will be some of us in this church who rarely, if ever, evaluate our own hearts. And we're comfortable with that. And if that's you, you need to listen closely to what Jesus says. You need to hear him saying, be careful. Be careful to examine yourself and see the fruit you're producing. Don't deceive yourself. Do you see fruit in your life? Are you mine? Or are you a Christian in name only? So this passage will afflict the comfortable. But then it will also comfort the afflicted. So there will be others in our church family who are constantly given to introspection and doubt. And if that's you, I hope, friend, that you can see the comfort that's offered to you in this passage. Your afflicted heart would do well to meditate on this. See, brother and sister, here Jesus gives you some clear, practical ways to gauge the vitality of your faith. He says, look at your heart. Don't be afraid. Look at your life. Look at the fruit of your life. Bring others in who know you well to help you get a good assessment to see, are you bearing fruit? And as you see that you are, rejoice. It's not you, it's Christ in you. Rejoice because redeemed hearts produce good fruit. Your redemption is showing. Church, redeemed hearts produce good fruit. And secondly and finally, Redeemed hearts obey Jesus. This is what we see in the second part of our passage. So look with me at verse 46. Jesus continues and says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So for Jesus, there's this, there's this category of people who would use his name and sort of swear allegiance to his authority, but not live it out not take seriously his commands and his rule in their lives. And in these verses, I think we all must come to what Jesus is saying and ask ourselves two questions as we evaluate our hearts. First, question to ask yourself, do I call Jesus my Lord? Do I call Jesus my Lord? And then second, if I do, if I do call Jesus my Lord, do I do what he tells me to do? Now, of course, this side of heaven, the answer to that second question will always be a mixed bag. So, praise God, we have been declared holy through the cross of Christ. But as we all know, fellow Christians, we are not yet made completely holy. And that comes when we are glorified for all eternity with Christ. But for now, we should expect continual, steady, gradual increase in Christ-likeness, in faith and repentance. It may be an up-and-down journey, 
but should always be a progressive journey as we seek to be more like Jesus. But the question remains for us. So as we call Jesus our Lord, do we obey him? It's like the boy who gets in trouble for hitting his sister for the 11th time in a week, and he tells his dad he's sorry again, but finally his dad just kind of responds in exasperation. Sorry isn't good enough, son. I need to see that you're sorry. Jesus is asking, are you calling me Lord and not obeying my voice? If so, your faith is in a precarious place. And then Jesus again uses a masterful illustration to get this point across. Look with me at verse 47. He says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. So I've never laid a foundation for a home. I'm sure some of you have been involved in home construction in the past, but, but for me, I like to just settle for smaller structures, say like a fence post. And so even for me as sort of a, a novice construction worker, even I can see how important it is to not just take a fence post and, and, and post it and, and kind of put a, a foot down in the ground, pack some earth around it, and just leave it to go. I, I see how in, incredibly important it is to make sure it's stable, perhaps even pouring a, a cement base in the ground so that when the earth is softened by rain or wind or storm, that post will remain steadfast because it's anchored in rock. That's, church, what Jesus is saying here about a person who would not merely follow him and hear him, but obey him. That person, he says, will be steadfast, will be established deep down in faith. And that person will outlast the storms of life, the storms that would threaten to undo him. Well, how about the hearer who doesn't obey Jesus continues and has words for that person as well in verse 49. He says, But the one who hears and does not do them, that is the words of Christ, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. See, the foolish man has a surface faith that doesn't reach down deep. That man's faith is like a house that's been built on the top of the ground instead of on a foundation that stays secure. And in a storm, that house collapses in on itself. Again, this illustration should comfort the afflicted in our church family and afflict the comfortable. See, if, if your faith is something you just kind of see as part of your life and you just sort of do the Christian thing without much thought to it, well, if that's you, when a storm comes that could threaten your faith, don't be surprised if your faith collapses, showing there really wasn't a foundation there at all, showing Jesus was perhaps just your Lord in name only. But oh, oh, storm-tossed Christian. 
Do you see how the waves and billows of trial prove your faith? Prove how it is dug down deep and established? Do you see that even in temptation to doubt and fear, trials actually strengthen your faith? Well, if that's you, rejoice. Be comforted. God is at work in you. And friends, you see here the immense privilege and the immense weight of hearing the word of Christ. Like we're hearing it right now. I wonder, when you attend a sermon, so back before COVID when we got together or you went to another church um, and heard a sermon there, when you attend a sermon, do you come just to sort of pay your dues? Pull out a few nuggets that are particularly relevant to your life? Or do you come to obey, to submit yourself to the authority of the king? See, when we hear God's word preached and taught, we have two options. We either obey it or we reject it. We, we cannot straddle offense. So I miss singing with you. One of the songs that we sing often, specifically before hearing God's word, is the, the song by the Gettys, Speak, O Lord. Remember the first half of that first verse? We sing, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That is the posture of every follower of Christ coming to his word. Let me receive your word. Plant it deep down. Shape me, fashion me. The true follower of Christ comes to God's word committed to submitting to it and obeying the Savior. So Christian, to you who call Jesus your Lord, examine your heart this morning. Are you bearing good fruit that is produced by a heart that has been made new in Christ? Are you committed to obeying your Savior as hard as that can be and to build your foundation down deep in obedience and trust to him? I know this is a weighty passage to consider. This is one of those passages that makes us a little uncomfortable. And many of us need to take it to heart. Many of us should be uncomfortable and should be more serious and sober-minded in evaluating our faith. But dear brother and sister, church family, dear Christian, remember how you got your faith in the first place. See, your true colors used to be the colors of sin and corruption. But Jesus came to give you a new heart, so that now you follow his, you fly his flag, and you seek to reflect him in your hearts and in your words until he returns. Christian, apart from that Savior, you can do nothing. So despair of being fruitful in your own strength, and then lift up your head. United to Christ, you are able, and indeed you must, and you will bear much fruit. Christian, take this time then, this week, to do some self-examination. 
Bring along a trusted Christian brother or sister to help you see your heart if, if that's necessary. Lean all your weight on the work Christ has done for you and then ask him as his child, plead with him for his sustaining grace, for his spirit to be at work powerfully in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. He has promised that he will complete the good work he has begun in you. So employ that promise. Hold him to that promise. Not just so you can lean back and rest easy, but so you can dig deeper and seek him all the more. The Apostle Paul again gives us a good start in how to examine the fruit of our lives in Galatians chapter 5. You can turn with me there as we get ready to close. Galatians chapter 5, right after Romans and Corinthians. And in chapter 5, starting in verse 19, Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. He's talking about the fruit of the flesh apart from Christ. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Christian, do you see those kinds of fruit growing in your life? Do you see them? The late author and, and pastor Jack Miller writes on the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and he says this, the Father is a welcoming God. He doesn't condemn you. He calls you out of your sin. He doesn't want you to play church. He wants you to live and be discipled. In all this, he gives the Spirit. Repudiate what is not yours, the works of the flesh, and let love flow. Love is the fruit from which the others grow. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All these flow out of faith, working by love. Oh, Loudoun Valley Baptist Church family, may we be a congregation never content to simply play church, staple up fruit onto our tree limbs, but to live out new lives as redeemed disciples of the King, completely submissive and obedient to Him, and looking ahead to His return. May that be us. May it be so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder to stop and consider our hearts. Lord, we know we can still deceive ourselves, but then storms come, maybe something like a pandemic, and it shakes us up and wakes us up. So, Lord, be merciful to every Christian tuning in this morning. Help us, Lord, help us not to call you Lord in name only, but to follow you as the Lord, as the master in every area of our lives. 
And Lord, we pray for those tuning in this morning who, who know that their fruit doesn't match the root. Who knows that they might be doing good things and be churchy people, but that their hearts are far from you. We pray also for those tuning in who know that they don't have a heart that belongs to you and, and are self-aware of that. Lord, we pray for these, these friends, that you would not give them rest in their souls until they find rest in you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love you, church family. That's all for now. Again, at 7 p.m. tonight is our Zoom prayer meeting. Uh, you can find the link in the email I sent. Please consider tuning in for that. A prayer is the engine room of the church. If there's any time where we need to pray together, it's right now. So try to prioritize meeting together tonight, 7 p.m. If you don't have the link, again, you can message me on Facebook or email me, jacob at loudonvalley.org, and we would love to have you as we pray together tonight. Now let's close with the doxology. Sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Talk to you soon.